So there are many things that Jesus did uh, during his uh, three years of public ministry. We know that he did a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching. He prayed a lot. He healed many people. He cast out demons. He performed different miracles. So the list goes on and on. He made disciples as well. But if you read the Gospel of Luke especially, uh, I mean, you see this in other Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Luke, uh, you're going to see that Jesus does something over and over and over again, something that is central to everything that he does. Um, and this is something that we tend to uh, overlook uh, when we are reading the Gospels. It's the very fact that Jesus is always eating. Like he, he, he's at a table. No, really, like, he, he loves eating. He's a foodie, right? Because you, you think about uh, what he does in his ministry, almost every important conversation is taking place over a table. Uh, you think about the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. That conversation is taking place because uh, the Pharisees see Jesus sitting and dining with sinners. And then you go to uh, the Last Supper. Uh, as Jesus is about to die, he's about to go to the cross. What does he do? He has a feast with his disciples. Jesus ate a lot. Uh, he, he ate with his disciples. He ate with his enemies. He ate with the tax collectors and sinners. He also ate with the religious leaders. And so we see that this is something that Jesus is intentionally doing. Uh, yes, he came in the human form, so he's hungry, he needs to eat. But at the same time, we see that there's a lot more significance to this very act of eating and sharing a meal. And so in today's passage, we see the first meal that he is sharing uh, in public. So I think there's great significance in that. We see in verse 27, it says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So the first thing that we see in today's passage is, is this, that Jesus, that he is calling the disciples uh, one by one. In this particular case, it is Levi. Notice that although um, it's kind of a, in a different context, the way that Jesus is calling Levi is very similar to how he called Peter and the other boys. Uh, we see that G Levi is sitting in a tax booth. Uh, now you have to understand tax collectors in Jesus' days weren't just people who collected taxes uh, from their own people for their own nation, but they collected taxes from people for the sake of Rome. Uh, they collected taxes so that they can support the ministry of Rome, uh, the very nation that was oppressing uh, the Jews. And so for, for the Jewish community, tax collectors were, were traitors. Uh, they were sinners. They were enemies of the people of Israel, and they were enemies of God because, in a way, they were serving the nation that was ruling over Israel. And so this was a big deal. Now we know that Levi wasn't necessarily a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus was in, in Luke uh, later on in, in 18. Uh, but we see that Levi here, uh, he is sitting in a booth. Uh, most likely he's one of the lower tax collectors. Uh, but in his booth, notice that it is Jesus who sees Levi. It is Jesus who approaches Levi. And it is Jesus, before Levi says a single word, he says, follow me. And the response in verse 28 is, Levi left everything and he rose and followed Jesus. So just like Peter, we see uh, a pattern where the response is 
uh, immediate. We see that Levi left everything behind. There's a price that he prayed, uh, paid. There's things that he left behind. But we also know that this doesn't mean he automatically went and sold his house and everything that he had because the very next passage we see that he's, he's having a feast. So I think when it says he left everything behind, it's talking about a change in lifestyle, a change in allegiance, uh, 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 moving away from the formal life. So to what degree did he leave behind? Uh, that we don't know completely. But one thing that we do know, his life was never the same after he answered this calling to follow Jesus. But we come to verse 29 and we see that the very first thing that Levi is, is doing is, is this. It says that in verse 29, Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So here we see the first thing that's happening at the table. Number one, if you're taking notes, at the table, Jesus is spending time. Jesus is spending time with people. You know, Levi, he is so excited that now he can follow Jesus. Now he is with Jesus that he invites all his buddies. Notice his buddies are tax collectors, others which are later identified by the Pharisees as sinners. So these are not necessarily the morally uh, good people that you would, you would uh, think would hang with Jesus in, in that first century society. Um, these are people that uh, you know, normally Jews would stay away from. Uh, but yet we see that Levi, because he himself was a tax collector and sinner, his buddies are tax collectors and sinners, and so he gathers a large crowd, the Bible says, he prepares a great feast, and he has this good idea to invite Jesus, and Jesus, he is dining, he is eating with the people there. He's not just there for a couple minutes. He's not just stopping by and saying, hey, it's good to meet you, how are you, and then leaving after a few minutes. Uh, or he's not just focused on his meal. It says that Jesus was reclining with the people there, the large crowd. And that word reclining is so important because it tells you that this is a formal meal. Now, in the Jewish culture, normally, you know, when you, when you ate, uh, you would eat at a table. But when it was a formal meal, uh, what would happen is you would have um, a table in the middle. And then on three sides, you would have couches. And instead of sitting up straight, you would actually lean over. Your head, your upper body would be leaning towards the table, kind of like this. You would have one hand on the table or on the couch to support yourself. You have one hand free, uh, and so you kind of like eating like that. Your legs are towards the outside, which makes a lot of sense how later on this woman was able to sneak into a meal and pour uh, uh, and, and anoint the feet of Jesus. It makes a lot of sense how uh, John in his gospel says he was able to lean on the chest of Jesus. Uh, a lot of this makes sense. In a formal meal, uh, people ate this way because, number one, it was very relaxing. So you can eat for a long time. You can talk for a long time. On those tables, you would have great conversations about life. And so notice in today's passage, Jesus is just not there to, to eat or to, to, to fill his stomach, but we see that he stayed. He spent time with people. Now, we live in a day in a culture where food is accessible. Like, we have so many restaurants. We have so many places that we can go, and you can call up your buddy and say, do you want to grab a meal? You can literally take out food and grab a meal together. But a lot of times what happens is you would eat, and then, you know, after a couple of minutes, you would go your own ways. You would leave. Um, but back in the first century for Jews, uh, when you ate a meal with someone, it's at your home. You're inviting uh, 
people to your place. You're opening up your space. Like people are coming into your lives. It was a big deal. Like the reason why a lot of us in our culture today, you know, we don't invite people over to our place. Number one is a lot of times our place is pretty dirty, but there's a lot of private things, right? In 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 our place, even when guests come over, we say, "Oh, make sure you don't go into that room. Uh, just use the guest room because all your other stuff is in this room or in this closet, right?" It was a big deal that people would come over to your place and share a meal with you. And here we see that Jesus, he is spending time with people. Uh, he's, he's not just looking forward to the next thing to do. He's not busy. And he's, his schedule is not so tight in a way that he has places to go. Although he has a lot of stuff to do, he always made, always made time for people. Uh, he was willing to sit down with people and have fellowship. And this is really encouraging because we see that Jesus is not just here to, to forgive sinners, but he's willing to have fellowship with sinners. Before this, up to this point, all we saw was that Jesus was calling sinners, but now we see that Jesus is willing to have fellowship with sinners, which is good news. So at the table, Jesus is spending time. But the second thing that we see is this. At the table, Jesus is saving and changing lives. Jesus is saving and changing lives. Now, Jesus, he's, he's not just sharing a meal to unwind, to catch up with people, to, to release stress. Um, he's not just there because he is hungry or, or lonely. But we see that his meal, his meal sharing has a clear purpose. Uh, he is spending time with people for a very particular reason. Um, and we see this being developed. Now, when Jesus was dining with these sinners, these tax collectors, there's a question that comes up in verse 30. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So they bring up a very important question. They're wondering why Jesus is with this company, with these particular people. Uh, it's shocking to them because they know that Eating with someone, having fellowship with someone at someone's home was not just sharing a meal. It was, it was a gesture of welcoming. It was your way of saying, I welcome these people. I'm cool with these people. I, I can hang with these people. And for them, it didn't make sense because a righteous person like Jesus, a holy person like Jesus, a well-known rabbi like Jesus should not spend time with sinners. He should separate himself with sinners. We talked about how, you know, a lot of people, they were afraid to go close to the lepers. Why? Because not only did, were they worried that physically they would get ill, but spiritually they, f- they felt like they would become contaminated if they, they were around sinners. And so for the Pharisees, in their mind, the best religious practice when it comes to sinners and tax collectors was stay away. Just, you know, you stay in your bubble. You stay with your group. You stay with your church friends. You don't go out. Because who knows what, what's going to happen. Um, you might become like them. And so when they saw Jesus spending time with, with sinners and tax collectors, it was, it was mind-blowing. Like they're, they're grumbling, it says in verse 30. Like, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and, and sinners? They're wondering why Jesus is trying to get so close to these people. Um, I remember when I was in Egypt, uh, one of the first advice I got was that the food could be very different here, but just make sure if someone invites you to your place, you make sure you eat that food, 
right? Because the moment you eat their food and spend time with them, uh, their hearts open up. And I was told that uh, from uh, 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 our team leader, he, he, he'd been in Egypt before, and he said, one time, uh, there's this family who brought off this beef stew, and every part of the cow was in that stew. So don't be surprised if something is round and it's staring at you. Like, there's like, and so I was like mentally, physically preparing myself, you know, the worst could happen. But I think what we're trying to say, is, especially even in missions, right, it's important that you, you, you share culture, you, you, you accept uh, the meal, you're, you're trying to blend in, you're trying to, uh, you know, understand where they're coming from and, and all that. Uh, and so Jesus is doing the same. But notice what he says in verse 31, how he responds. It says in verse 31, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, two things are very clear here. Number one is Jesus is a man on a mission. When he's eating with people, he has a mission in mind. What is his mission? It is to lead the sick to be healed, and it is to lead the sinners to repentance. Notice that Jesus is clearly saying that these guys are sinners in need of repentance. These guys are people who are sick in need of a physician. Like that, that, that's what he's saying. He's not denying their sin. He's not denying the fact that tax collectors and sinners are unrighteous. He is acknowledging their sin. A lot of times when we spend time with uh, friends that are not necessarily, you know, within our church or not necessarily believers, um, what we tend to do is a lot of times we tend to water down sin. We tend to embrace their sin. We say, well, it's totally fine what you do and everything is, is okay. Like, you know, you do you. I'll just stick with my religion. But notice that Jesus, he clearly knows that they're not walking in the right way, that they're not living in the right way. He's not compromising his faith in order to spend time with them. Now, this teaches you a very important lesson. Now, you can spend time with people that are different in faith, but you don't have to become like them. That's important. Uh, and, and it's also important for us to guard our heart because is it possible for us to become like people outside of the church? Absolutely. Like, that's why it says in Psalm 1, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor the way of the sinners, or the seat of the scoffers. In other words, it is a blessed thing for you to not walk or sit or stay in the presence of sinners. Like, if you just indulge in that, then you will become like them. But that doesn't mean you have to live in isolation like the Pharisees. The Pharisees took this to the extreme, and they said, well, that must mean that we don't interact at all with people who are unrighteous. Well, Jesus he says, I clearly know their sin, but my purpose, my goal is to save them and is to change them. And, and this is the good news that, that we have, that Jesus, he sees through the, the, these people's hearts and they, he sees the deep need that exists inside of them. As he's sharing the meal, he's seeking for an opportunity to share, share the gospel, to share the good news of God's kingdom. He's seeking for opportunities uh, to, to, to talk to them and say, hey, life doesn't have to be this way. And I'm sure Levi is like right there, all excited, sharing, man, 
it's so nice that now that I'm following Jesus, like I'm so excited. I want you guys to hear what I heard. I want you guys to experience what I have experienced. Like I want you guys to meet Jesus who changed my life. Like that's all Levi is doing. He has Jesus right there and he's pointing people to Jesus. And so Jesus, he's there with a clear mission. Uh, the Pharisees thought he was just having fellowship, but he was there to change and transform these people. And it's important for us when we are hanging with people, especially people who don't share the same faith, people who never been to church before. Yes, we need to spend time with them. Yes, we need to love on them. Yes, we need to show compassion and care towards them. But remember, our ultimate mission, our ultimate goal is not just to leave them in their sin, but we want to lead them to Jesus Christ. We want them to see the beauty of the gospel, for them to have a different life. Notice clearly it says sinners to repentance, meaning that Jesus' intention is that the crowd would never be the same, that they would change, that they would turn away. And so we see at the table, Jesus is spending time, but at the table also he is saving and changing lives. He's very intentional about his meal sharing. The last thing that we see is this. At the table, Jesus is displaying a picture of God's kingdom. Jesus is displaying a picture of God's kingdom. Uh, now, this is where things get interesting. The Pharisees first asked about the question feasting. Why, why, why are you feasting with these sinners, Jesus? And now the story goes to fasting. Now that you know, Jesus answered the question, you know, this is why I'm feasting with these people, now the Pharisees bring up a question about fasting. Uh, they're asking, hey, Jesus, why do you eat at all? Why, why are your disciples eating at all? Before it was, why do you eat with these people? Now they're actually questioning the act of eating itself because it says in verse 33, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. So you can kind of tell that there's a hint of pride in their statement. They're saying that John the Baptist, the great teacher, his disciples, they fast. Our disciples, they fast. What about your disciples? Jesus, they're eating, they're, they're having a great time, they're laughing. And, and if you're a holy guy, if you're a righteous dude, shouldn't you be fasting Shouldn't you be practicing all these spiritual disciplines in your life? I mean, like, why are you spending so much time just eating? That's a very good question, right? Because fasting is something that is central to the Christian life. Now, so what's Jesus' position on fasting? Again, he's not against fasting. Uh, actually, Jesus, he encourages fasting. There are times that he fasts himself. We also see in Matthew 17 when Jesus says, if you have a faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains, but those things can only happen, if you look at the footnotes, through prayer and fasting. So prayer and fasting are central things um, that we need to practice in our Christian life. Jesus loves prayer and fasting, but what he says is there's a time and a reason for prayer and fasting. It says in verse 34, And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So notice that Jesus is not against fasting. Uh, he says there's a season where you feast, there's a season where you fast. When you are with the bridegroom, the groom, you feast, you have a good time, 
you enjoy the groom's presence. The guests enjoy the groom's presence. But when the groom is no longer there, that's when you fast. You fast knowing that the groom, his presence is no longer there. Why is that so significant? What Jesus is saying is this. The purpose of fasting is to feast on God's presence. That's the purpose of fasting. The reason why you should fast is because you want to feast on God's presence. When we abstain from food, abstain from different things in our life, we are saying, God, I'm letting these things go. I'm staying away from these things so that I can feast on your grace, so that I can fill my life, not with these other things that I normally fill my life with, but I want to fill my life with you with your promises, with your presence. So when you are fasting, you're praying, you're not just emptying yourself, you're filling yourself with God's word in prayer, with his presence. In other words, the purpose of fasting is actually to feast on God's presence. And the irony is this. What Jesus is saying is this. I am the bridegroom. I'm the one who you've been waiting for. The reason why you fast is because you seek God's presence. Do you not recognize that, that very presence is right before you, right in front of you. That's what he's saying. As long as you are with me, when I'm with you, we don't fast. We feast. Like, we have a good time. Uh, we enjoy one another's presence. There will be a time when we will feast again. But Jesus says, until that time, until I return, yeah, you fast. Because you don't have the physical presence of, 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 of me or God. Uh, but... Through fasting, you can feast on God's presence, but one day the bridegroom will return and we will have a feast. So this idea of feasting and fasting is quite interesting, right? Jesus is really about feasting. His first miracle, his first sign was this wedding at Cana, a, a wedding that ran out of wine, which means it ran out of joy. And, and what does Jesus do? He provides drinks so that the joy can continue, so the joy can be made complete. And later in chapter, John chapter 3, he says, well, I did this because, really, I'm, I'm the bridegroom. John, you're the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the, I'm the bridegroom. So many parables are about feasting, how God's kingdom is open to those who are willing to feast on, uh, at God's table. You just think about the Lord's Supper. What is it? It's an invitation to have a feast with, with, with Jesus. You think about Revelation 19, where you have, really, um, uh, the return of Jesus you have heaven rejoicing and an angel declaring in Revelation 19, 9, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Why is this a picture of heaven? Heaven is a place where you have a holy God fellowshipping with sinners and unworthy people. And and Jesus, by sharing this meal with the sinners and the tax collectors, he's suggesting the possibility of one day how God will invite sinners and unworthy people to his very own presence so that they can experience the joy that comes from the table. It's, it's, it's the preview of what Jesus is going to do through his, 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 his death and resurrection, how through the cross he's going to make a way for sinners like you and me so that we can actually enter into God's holy presence, undeserving. These people had no business being with Jesus, sharing a meal with Jesus, and yet, because of Jesus, his gracious invitation and his gracious work, we see that they're sitting at the very table and having this intimate 
friendship, fellowship with, with Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same this morning. I think a lot of us have this really narrow view of discipleship. Following Jesus is hard, difficult, stressful. Jesus is going to put us through some very difficult situations. We're going to be persecuted. Uh, we're going to might be losing our life at some point. Uh, and you, you just get really, really scared when it comes to discipleship. It, it, it's like you're, you're following a stranger, not knowing where the stranger is taking you. But notice, the very first picture that you get from discipleship is this. The very first thing that happens when someone follows Jesus is that they're feasting on the goodness of Jesus, that they're enjoying the very presence of Jesus. They're actually celebrating. And it's ironic because the religious leaders who thought they were so righteous are missing out on this fellowship. Could it be that the reason why we are missing out on this fellowship is because we are thinking and acting not like Levi, but like the religious leaders who are so self-centered. The fact that they are calling these people sinners, it tells you that they think of themselves quite highly. If they're designating these people as sinners, they're saying, well, they're sinners and not me. Like, I'm doing my fasting. I'm staying away from these unrighteous people. Like, I'm doing my job. And, and God is probably going to uh, look up on me with favor, and yet what they are unaware of is that they're missing out on the very opportunity to be in fellowship with Jesus because they don't see their own sin. So two ways I think we can apply a text like this. Number one, don't have such a narrow view of discipleship. Uh, understand that following Jesus comes with great joy. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of God brings immediate joy to our lives. You can celebrate the very fact that you have the presence of God with you. Um, it, it brings joy and the fact that one day you have the hope that one day God is going to bring the fullness of his presence through a new heaven and a new earth. That in itself brings so much joy that Jesus is not trying to just put you through this boot camp and put you through all these drills to, to torture you, but he's actually inviting you to have fellowship um, with the living God. And so don't have such a narrow view of discipleship. Number two is this. If you are a believer, share in the meal-sharing ministry of Jesus. Be part of this meal-sharing ministry of Jesus. Be intentional about your time. Be intentional about who you reach out to. It's not just about having a meal, by the way, within the church. But I think we have to be intentional about who we invite. We have to invite the right people. Yes, we, it's, I think there are other places in the Bible where fellowship and hospitality is central to the body of Christ and we need to spend time with one another. But all that we're doing is just spending time with one another and no one knows what's going on in our homes and in our church. If that's the reality, then how in the world will people ever hear the gospel? I think the best strategy for evangelism is actually inviting people to share in the table. Um, that's how Jesus did it that he had some important conversations on this table, that he was willing to share this meal. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a good cook. Uh, I don't have a big place. Uh, did you know that Jesus, you don't ever see him cooking stuff somehow? He's great on hospitality, but somehow he gets someone else to do it for him, right? Like, he gets Levi to cook this meal up. He gets this, this, this kid to bring his happy meal to, to feed 5,000 he is so good at doing that. Like, don't put limits uh, to what you can do and what you can't do. It's more about what are you willing to offer yourself? Are you willing to give yourself to this opportunity? Are you willing to be intentional about your time where you are spending time with people, 
You're not just indulging in yourself, spending time with people, and you're intentional for the mission of the gospel, saving and changing lives, displaying the goodness of God's kingdom that is to come. Praise God for this beautiful picture of discipleship and fellowship. And now let's fast and wait and pray, but at the same time, let's feast on the presence of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.